1: Hello, good morning, and welcome to the bottom line, the program for and about business on Casey Law. It's fairly dull and damp Saturday morning, but hey, it's a bank holiday weekend, and I hope we find you well this morning. But maybe if you're finding it hard, just remember Casey Law is here for you to keep you company throughout. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning with the bottom line the program for and about business thanks to brian redmond for the last two hours the easiest radio quiz wasn't that easy but uh looking forward to hearing brian again next saturday morning and he's on bank holiday monday but this morning on the bottom line i'll be chatting to james malone of malone's fruit farm in Ballin about his family's successful fruit operation. I'll be sitting down with Bart Paulukovic of Iran Bakery in Kilkenny to talk about his latest exploits. Breed O'Connell, CEO of Guaranteed Irish, will be telling us about their new Guaranteed Irish Gifts website. And we'll be talking to a wellbeing specialist about coping with the strains of uncertainty, anxiety, lack of focus and general negative and unhealthy feelings that unfortunately are all too common during these difficult COVID times. But first, joining me on the phone is an old friend of The Bottom Line, Tom Malloy, Director of Public Affairs and Communications at Trinity College in Dublin, and former group business editor with Independent News and Media, and of course, a former editor of the Kilkenny People newspaper. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, John. How are you? It's a while since we've spoken, but presumably a very busy time in Trinity College. Education, like every other sector, huge upheavals.
3: Yeah, we've, we've been turned absolutely upside down by, by the pandemic, like, like so many other parts of the, the country. But it's, it's a kind of a, it's a mixed, a mixed story, I suppose, for education. I mean, we're on a program called the bottom line. So if we think about the bottom line, the bottom line for, for Trinity and indeed most other universities has been a little bit better than expected. People still want to go to university and want to go to college and demand is, you know, was very high from from Irish students, but also surprisingly perhaps very high from, from foreign students as well. And foreign students uh, really fund, fund the system that we have at the moment. So, you know, that was important for Trinity and indeed philanthropy and other uh, income streams have held up pretty well. So the university has, at that level, done much better than we expected. What has really been problematic, of course, is actually teaching the students. And, and that is really hard uh under under level three it was almost impossible and under level five it's it's extremely difficult as well and and we've had to put in a lot of a lot of measures and unfortunately a lot of um lectures have gone online and in trinity at least the the focus is very much on doing in-person teaching when it comes to laboratory work and, and other kinds of um Medical practicals, you know, medical students meeting patients and so on—stuff that just cannot be done effectively online.
1: Yeah, just give us a sense, Tom, of the actual size of the Trinity operation. I mean, how large is it? Our student body and how, how many people work there?
3: Well, the the student body is eighteen thousand students, and um, the the staff is about three and a half thousand. So it's pretty much exactly the same size as the Kilkenny the city, and wow. I mean, Trinity feels a lot like a city. You know, it has its own its own little chapel and its own bar and its own, you know, it has many of the things that a uh, small, small city might might have, uh, theatres and so on. So it's a big operation. And, and actually, Trinity is the fifth smallest of the seven uh, established universities in the Republic. Wow! So it's kind of, you know, UCD is, would be much bigger again. UCD is about 30,000 students. But it, it's kind of interesting, actually. I was... Listening to um, the chancellor of uh, the vice chancellor of Oxford University yesterday, Louise Richardson, who is a Watford woman, studied um, history in Trinity and now now runs Oxford. And she just mentioned in passing, Oxford also has about twenty thousand students, but they have twelve thousand staff. Wow! So that gives you some indication of how understaffed uh, Irish universities are at the moment and how poor the funding situation is. You now, the big picture is, of course that Irish universities are are woefully underfunded by by international
1: standards. And we're always talking about innovation and and the importance of innovation to the Irish economy. You actually had the EU Commissioner for Research uh, with you in Trinity during the week. Tell us about that and and speak about the whole uh, area of research, innovation and the role of third levels and so on.
3: Well, uh, you know, universities are always have been, but are increasingly one of the main um, birthplaces of spin-out companies. In fact, Trinity alone accounts for 20% of all spin-outs in, in Ireland, which is an astonishing figure when you when you stop and think about it. Many of these companies then get sold, and people don't really realize that they, they have a Trinity origin. In fact, there was a nice a nice spin-out um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that was uh, Luca O'Neill, the famous Luca O'Neill professor of immunology. And Trinity is... Uh, ranked as the first, second, third best university in the world for immunology. And, wow. and Luke has developed um, cures that will have significant effects on the pain levels that people have with arthritis. So, you know, a very, a very practical thing that is going to make the lives of tens of millions of people much, much better. And this is now being commercialized. The university benefits, by the way, Luke himself benefits, and of course the drug companies that are bringing this thing to market will benefit. But that's um, just just one example of many. And, and yeah, the Commissioner uh, Maria Gabriel who's um, uh, the remaining Commissioner for Research and so on, uh, was, you know, has a, has a very coherent plan to to improve uh, the linkages between universities and uh, and business. I suppose it's something that we all want to do. Uh, but there is there is a kind of you know, and, and actually we can see it in our own government. You know, we have for the first time ever a full, fully ranked cabinet minister for research and higher and further education sitting at the cabinet table, Simon Harris. And it hasn't, you know, because of COVID and everything else, hasn't really gained the attention that it, it perhaps should have gained. But the Ministry for Further and Higher Education, uh, in terms of budget, is now the fifth biggest ministry in the country. It's quite extraordinary. I suppose you have, what would you have? You'd have health you have welfare, you have
4: um,
3: education, and so on. And then at number five is is further and higher education. And he is also trying to bring, trying to link, for the first time in our history, uh, research and education in a co- coherent way. It's a really exciting uh, step forward, and it could really make a big difference to this country, because after all, you know, we're a country with very few natural resources, uh, and we have very few advantages, really, uh, and and... We all know from our history that, that education in and is one of them and innovation is one of them. What else do we have?
1: Mm. Tom, how do you feel about the current uh, generation of young people who are in colleges? Many of them are actually in the spare room or in their bedrooms now attending college uh, virtually uh, and so on. Um are they the snowflake generation that we hear so much about, spending their lives on their phones and and just been really deadened by Instagram and so on? Or what, what? angle do you have on on the future?
3: Well, I see a lot of them obviously every day, um, and and I, I, I can't help being very impressed with them. I think I think this this term snowflake generation. I wish we would just bury it once and for all. You know, this is this is we could call it the betrayed generation. This is a generation that when they, were, when they were kids, they went through a financial crisis engineered by, by their elders, by people your age and my age, John. And now they're going through another financial crisis, uh, which will have huge effects on their outcomes for the rest of their lives. Uh, they've, they've gone through a shambolic leaving cert that, that you know was a disgrace. They've had to enter college late, uh, later than they expected. Now they've entered college, and the government has moved us up to level five, and they, they can't actually study, and they've 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 taken this all with you know remarkable grace and good humour. Uh, it's it's quite extraordinary how resilient they've uh, proved themselves. Of course, naturally, some of them are complaining. Naturally, some of them are suffering from uh, uh, depression and, and, and other kind of symptoms of this kind of of the situation. And just as people in every age group in this country are, but I, I think. I really hate, actually, the demonizing that has gone on. Mm. The criticism, you know, of a few young people getting together in Spanish arts or down in Cork, it's, it's absolutely nonsense. And we have to remember that people who are aged 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, they're genetically programmed to want to come together. You know, this is, this is why... Uh, universities are such a good place for young mm. people but they
1: need to come together much more than we do. So and Tom, the uh, they're emerging into a, a very unstable international situation as well and, and number one on that at the moment is, is the state of the US presidency, the election coming up in less than two weeks. Um, you've actually met Joe Biden a number of times I think, Vice President Joe Biden who may in two weeks time be the President-elect of the United States. Tell us about him and your experience with him
3: yeah i met him once <laughs> and I had dealings with him uh long uh, time uh, but uh, well he he and, and look i don't want to overplay how much i, I met him but but i did walk him around dublin and uh, he's uh, well he's an extremely um pleasant uh and polite and, and and kind of humble man you know he's not he's he's got great star power great charisma um he's uh, intelligent um but the main thing is, he was very human. Is what, what struck me very, very interested in his interaction with other people. Uh, you know, because of course, as we walked around, a lot of, uh, especially American tourists, recognised him. He was incognito, but but you know, he was clearly different to the rest of us. You know, the way these people look and how white their teeth are, and how tan they are, and how well dressed they are—they just stand out from any crowd, even when they're incognito. Um, and he. He he struck me very much as a man with a plan. You know, this was about two years ago, and he described exactly what he was going to do. There was no question in his mind that he was running for the presidency. And he kind of, as we walked and talked, he he outlined uh, pretty much exactly what what has unfolded, that he would would bring a cabinet together. Most of the people who advise him were working in universities across the U.S., that they were all in think tanks and they were all developing policy and now we we see all this policy so i I think um, uh, he 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 seemed like a a very um uh, fine man basically
1: Mm. tom unfortunately we have to leave it there but in a word uh, this time two weeks we should know the election have you got a prediction for us on the u.s election putting Um, you on the spot now (laughs)
3: know what i really ought not to predict because i have to admit last time it seemed clear to me that um trump would lose i thought that uh, some of his comments about women would just uh, because I, I i lived and worked as a, a journalist in the u.s i thought i knew the place but turns out i don't <laughs> i got that wrong uh, i mean i i still uh, think that biden will win and and by by a large amount i think probably a landslide i think uh We can't bring ourselves to quite believe that, but that's what the polls are telling us, that's what the early voting is telling us. This could be the highest turnout as a percentage of the population since, you know, at least a century. I think people are getting up to vote to to change things. Not that things will change as much as perhaps we all hope, because Trump has broken the international system in the meantime, and we'll never get back to where we were.
1: Tom we have to leave it there thanks very much good to talk to you as always Um, we'll have you back on after the election and we'll hold you to it Um, uh, that's Tom Malloy uh, of Trinity College in Dublin uh, talking to us about a range of issues always very interesting to talk to Tom it's just coming up to 21 minutes after 9 o'clock and we're coming up with loads more interesting stuff don't go away
0: The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and
2: pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie
1: Just after 22 minutes after 9 o'clock, John Purcell with you on The Bottom Line until 10. Now, over the last number of weeks, we've been delighted to work with Carlo and Kilkenny Local Enterprise offices on the Taste Local campaigns. Something we're delighted to be doing to raise awareness and appreciation of all the wonderful food producers, restaurants, cafes and food businesses we've got in Kilkenny and Carlow. Now unfortunately many of the public facing businesses in the food sector are currently closed because of Covid but we hope that before long they will return and we can all enjoy what's on our doorstep but in the meantime many producers continue to work away and this morning we'll be meeting two more of them. First it's a discussion I had with Barclay Bart Paulukovich of Iran Bakery in Barrack Street in Kilkenny. And Iran has been a huge hit with people in Kilkenny since it first launched a little over a year ago. I asked Bart to describe his business journey with Iran to me.
5: Crazy. <laughs> That's the recap. That's, I, can, I can summarise it in one word. Crazy. Um, yeah, so uh, we ventured out. Iran was... Uh, Iran was uh, based on a concept so we we come from a fine fine dining background but we didn't want to do fine dining because we there's a there's a, a a mantra behind all this so our previous head chef that we used to work under Dan Gusti he on one of the symposiums he did he said that it's easy to cook for people that want to eat good it's hard because now he 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 was the head chef in Noma and Now he uh, cooks school lunches, you know. And after that in America, and now after that experience, he said it's easy to cook for people that want to eat good and know how to eat good and have the money for it. It's hard to convince somebody to eat good on a low budget, or it's hard to go in, 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 like w- into their life with your shoes and say this is this is good for you. The other stuff that you eat is shit. You can't you can't do it to people, you know. So so we sat down and started planning how do we introduce good food and you know produce Iran was supposed to look dif- much differently than it does you know it kind of Iran's like spun into his, into its own life but the, the core concept is how can we introduce it and we we figured out that everybody likes bread so we'll introduce it on bread so a- anything that we want to do we'll just introduce it in a simple way on bread so if we're doing a sandwich let's do a best sandwich that we can do and you you need bread to make sandwiches. So we figured we know how to make bread. We we'll make our own bread, and that was the that was the birth of b- back then. Still Black Abbey Bakers. We weren't. We still have that name. We we weren't around back then, and uh, so so we so we started planning for for opening a bistro, uh, and a bakery inside of it. Not knowing that that decision will save us later on.
1: Yes, and um, that was only the summer of 2019, less than a year under your belt, and COVID came along. Um, it's wiped out many
5: businesses. Yeah, six, six months in then COVID came
1: along. <laughs> yeah, so talk to us about how you, uh, were you optimistic about the future despite this? Did you think it was going to be a small change? Or did you really think this was going to be very serious?
5: Oh no, we thought, uh, like some, some, some people were uh, neglecting it, but we thought it's going to be serious straight from the beginning like this is going to have a huge impact Uh, and uh, we just reacted really fast we adapted and we adjusted really really rapidly and uh, that is what saved us Mm.
1: now i spoke to you in september in mountain view uh, at the market unfortunately it was the last market before they had to uh, close Uh, shortly afterwards then i heard that you were Working on the development of this premises that we're in here now, a new bakery which will be opening in in the coming weeks. Tell us about that. So you you got your original premises across the road in Barrack Street, and you're expanding.
5: So you know we're expanding, but it's a, it's a, the expansion is uh, like of course it's good, uh, and it was planned for a long time. So this 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 came straight when COVID started. Uh, one thing we were already too congested in in, in Iran, so the restaurant needs some space to work and then you know fitting all of your dreams into one place is cool when it's small but when it starts growing all of a sudden like we're fighting for space we're fighting for and we're fighting every day uh, so you need an escape route, and as soon as COVID started, we we knew straight away that that place is too congested. That place is is, is gonna have to. We're gonna have to do something because new restrictions are coming in, and uh, you know, all the scientists said that this is not gonna go for like the, the next three years. So, you know, there was a, we had queues before COVID, and then we had queues for bread, and all of that in that small corridor when you enter enter around. So we knew something has to be done. Or we're gonna have to sacrifice one of one of the, one of the businesses, you know, because it's kind of two separate entities at this point. And uh, yeah, during COVID, everything was closed, but we managed to uh, find out uh, from from the, from the from the cinema manager uh, that IMC owns this building that we're sitting in now, and we contacted directly the head office of IMC. We we got to the chairman and uh, we because everybody was off work so like uh, his secretary wasn't replying to emails so we finally got direct email to him through somebody and uh we started talking to him and this 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 building this building was supposed to be demolished and they didn't demolish it <laughs> because it's a very good building so whatever they were planning probably some architects or whoever said listen this is a good building you shouldn't destroy it and they did it uh, you know it's opposite to our premises like there was a lot of variations when we were looking for premises we were looking for warehouses we were looking outside Kilkenny but in the end we the first idea was the best one so we looked across the street and we thought oh wouldn't it be nice to move in there and as we were looking for other venues we kept drilling because it took it took months to to, to get through uh, and then we finally got through and uh, we got it. After many, many months, we had problems at the beginning with the ESB. We had problems. Now now we have to change the whole roof in the back because this building is not, in, like, you know, that add-on is not in the best condition. And uh, and it's all very stressful, you know, but uh, we managed to wrap, 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 our, wrap our heads around it and then we managed to, uh, we're managing to pull it off somehow. But it's, it's a very, very hard, Task. that's why.
1: Um, You talked a bit about your philosophy of food, can you summarise your philosophy of business?
5: We don't have a philosophy of business, really, (laughs) no we really don't, Uh, we're not business people, we are struggling every day, uh, to, we work heavily with our accountant, we, we have a crash course now with business with uh, HR with everything you know we we have an external HR company so we like to do it by the books as much as we can you know and then and, and in these days it's harder and harder you know uh, but we have an we outsourced an HR company we, we have a health and safety outsource company and then we have our accountant and then we have a solicitor and we work all the time with them and learn on our mistakes unfortunately we learn on our mistakes every day <sighs> We're not. We, we are motivated by food and creation. And that was the whole concept. We didn't think about money when we were opening Iran. We put it all in one card, and if it goes, it goes. If not, we're... we're
1: now, I hear people um, raving about the taste of your bread and the texture of it and the look of it and everything. I asked you, um, what's the secret sauce? What's the mystery ingredient that makes your bread so popular and Iran so much in demand? Can you share your secret sauce
5: with us? 20 hour day shift. That's the secret sauce.
0: Local at heart. ACLR.
1: James Malone of Malone Fruit Farm. We're standing here with rows of blackberries behind you. Uh, You're about to harvest those in the coming weeks. Busy time of the year. But take us back to 1988 and when Malone Fruit Farm started.
4: Well, Malone's Root Farm started very small. It was uh, an idea of my my da- mom and dad to uh, create work for us kids. There was seven children in the house, so uh, they wanted summer jobs for us. So they rented rented half an acre of land and. Uh, We uh, had our summer jobs and made our own little bit of cash, and as the years went on, it grew bit by bit, and around the mid to late 90s, it got to the stage where it was either get into it properly or get out of it, so we got into it then, and uh, gradually have grown bit by bit since then to where we are today.
1: Yeah, so 30 something years later, describe the operation that you have here now just outside Ballin in County Carlow.
4: What we're doing at the moment here now is we're growing uh, 10 different soft fruits, so strawberries, raspberries, gooseberries, loganberries, blackberries, blackcurrants. We uh, supply them for the fresh market and um, we freeze a lot of our fruit as well for summer or for winter sales. And uh, we make a lot of jams, chutneys, jellies, that kind of thing as well, all for sale at our farmers markets and at our farm shop here. And we also uh, sell a range of other small producers' artisan food products in our shop and at our farmers' markets. Yeah,
1: now uh, doing it as a teenage hobby for pocket money and as a full-scale business—quite a difference. How is it as a business? You're relying a lot on weather. Just when we were chatting before we started, I couldn't believe the impact that obviously weather has all around the year.
4: Yeah, we're very dependent on weather um, with the growing and harvesting of the crops. Is it's we're we're very dependent on getting the sunshine for the. Sweetness of the fruit. Um, The uh, the, the likes of the frost this year in May did a lot of damage to us having frost nights of minus four um, and then having a bit of drought over the years and um, two years ago we had a lot of damage with drought so we're very dependent we have irrigation systems here in place but we're not set up for the very very dry periods that we get because we harvest a lot of water from our tunnels we reuse that but if it doesn't fall we can't harvest it. <laughs>
1: now I'm, I'm not good at estimating acreages and sizes of things but you've got a lot of tunnels here can you give us an idea of the uh, area of land that you've got under cover?
4: The area of land under cover, our total area of land that we're cropping off of is about four and a half or five acres and approximately half of that is under under tunnels. Some of them are permanent structures like the one we're in at the moment um, and then others are temporary structures that we just put up during the during the cropping period. Um, they're more so that we can harvest our fruit on a, on a wet summer's day um, because our, our soft fruit has to be harvested bone dry for the shelf life.
1: Yeah, now that was something that I uh, learned chatting to you just before we started about the, the shelf life of the fruit is dependent a lot on the condition of the fruit, the time of year mm-hmm. and so on. So the relationship with the consumer is very important in relation to that.
4: Yeah, with us, with, because we sell directly a lot, to a lot to a lot of our customers, we're able to explain the different times of the year and the different timing of the crop that, um, like we always try to get as long a shelf life as possible to give to the customer but as a crop comes to its end the shelf life is going to change so being able to deliver and speak directly with the end user is great that we can advise them on the different crops and how, they, how they're how they going to store and how they're going to keep um, which is good because they can decide then on what quantities they want and even if the fruit doesn't last as long as they thought they have been informed and they know that you know so it's the relationship with the customer is very important Over the al- almost
1: 30 years or over 30 years since the business first came into being presumably our tastes have changed quite a bit can you tell us a bit about that
4: uh, yeah a lot of um, a lot of our frozen fruit especially nowadays um, 10 years ago would have been used a lot more for say jam making the, the home jam making industry and um, whereas now a lot of the frozen fruit is is for uh, use for smoothies and for breakfasts um, so a lot of people are, and they want to, they, with food provenance, people want to know where their fruit is coming from. So they can get Irish fruit all year round for their smoothies and for their breakfasts, which is which is important. You were also uh, telling me that you do grow some
1: um, speciality fruits, but, but that's challenging enough because nearly as soon as they're produced, they're gone.
4: Yeah, over the years we've grown um, some peaches and nectarines, and at the moment we grow a few um, grapes but one of, our, one of our issues with them is that we see them as kind of a bit of a novelty crop because they're only in for a couple of weeks at a time, but, uh, so by the time the customer knows we have them, they're almost gone and then they're back looking for them, but uh, it's it's nice to add that little bit of flavour and a little bit of difference to our, our offering. Yeah, now you produce some of your own jams and jellies as well, where are those available? Uh, now our jams and jellies again, they're available in our farm shop here and at our farmers markets in Kilkenny, Carlow and one in Dublin and uh, they're available in one or two local shops, but generally just directly from ourselves. Um, we're in an era of COVID, unfortunately. How has that
1: impacted on the business? We heard about the weather, but presumably the weather pales in comparison with a global pandemic.
4: Yeah, for us, the, the, the pandemic did damage in the fact that we were we were closed for nine, 10 weeks completely. Markets, everything are farm shop was open because we're a food supplier and um, but customers weren't traveling so it was very very quiet um, the reopening of markets some of our markets have reopened and others haven't um, what i'm concerned about in the next couple of months is we do a lot of festive markets Uh, where we sell a lot of Christmas hampers and I have a feeling a lot of doors won't be open again so our our Christmas hamper market is my next one to to figure out and learn again what to do Um, we do a certain amount, a lot for the public but we do some corporate as well Um, and what that market is going to look like over october november december is is yet to be seen
1: yeah now uh, this is all part our focus on local suppliers is all part of the local enterprise office campaign to eat local why do you think that's important and and what
4: message would you
1: give to listeners
4: Uh, i think eating local is very important whether it's, it's fruit or veg or fish or meat it's 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 supporting the local economy and the jobs in small industries are generally held longer. They're like the small producer isn't going to up and leave to a different country because they can do things a bit cheaper. They're rooted in the community. Generally the people they employ are in the community. So all of their earnings is going back into the community. So it's it's, it's more sustainable in the long run, I feel.
1: Yeah, now we've had a challenging uh, summer and indeed 2020. How are you feeling looking forward into the future for the fruit industry?
4: The, the fruit industry is, is looking good at the moment, I feel it is. It's uh, our, our model of it, as in we go direct to the end user, um, and people are getting more and more concerned about food provenance and where it's coming from and what, what goes into it. So we found that our model of getting direct to the market to see the customer and they trust your food and they understand your food and know where you're coming from, I feel is, is, is good at the moment.
0: The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the safety's largest
2: independent accountancy practice. Www.onf.ie.
1: You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. 21 minutes or 20 and a half minutes to be precise, away from 10 o'clock. John Purcell with you until then when Edward Hayden comes up. Now, great to chat uh, to Bart from Iran there before the break and also a recording that I made with James Malone from Malone Fruit Farms and it brought me back to the early days of September. You could hear the bird's twittering away in the background and it was lovely and bright and all that sort of stuff And those days will roll around again and James Malone his fruit is still available all through the uh, year so do support that local business and indeed Iran now on the whole team of supporting local business and supporting Irish I'm joined on the line by Breed O'Connell who's the chief executive of Guaranteed Irish uh, a mark which has stood for the best of Irish for many years good morning Breed
2: Good morning, John. Great to speak to you.
1: Yeah, just tell us a bit about Guaranteed Irish, uh, the whole concept first, before we talk about where you're at at the moment and the role that you're playing in the COVID recovery.
2: Sure. Guaranteed Irish has been around for almost 50 years, John, as everybody knows it from their copybook growing up, and it's changed enormously in the last four years. So a new team in there, new board of directors, very dynamic, with the sole mission, I suppose, to make sure that it lasts and has longevity for another 50 years or, or a lot longer. And the idea behind that is that each country needs its own mark, I suppose, to highlight the local economy and to promote and speak on behalf of the local economy. So in the new Guaranteed Irish um, um, iteration at the moment, the big piece is to um, support all businesses based in Ireland, not just Irish, all businesses based in Ireland, and there is a difference there, who support jobs, who support their local communities in which they're vested in, and who support provenance. In other words, they pay their taxes here, And they have a real physical presence here. So guys with the brass plates who are just here for the tax breaks, they're not really included. But uh, the guys who are genuinely contributing, like your last speakers from Aron and from Malone Food Farms, they're the perfect example of the kind of guys we're trying to support and promote and get people aware of and more conscious as consumers to really think about where they spend their money. So we can hold on to those really needed jobs at the moment and really support those businesses whose back is totally to the wall during
1: 2020. Yeah, and, and you know, consumers uh, have the chance to buy Irish stuff when they're out in shops or when they're in a in a retail outlet. And many of those closed and a huge push uh, to online. And the online figures about where our online money goes are really quite shocking.
2: Unbelievable. Ireland is actually the biggest online shopping community in the world per capita, but 84% up to 2019 of that was going overseas. So our big drive this year is to try and get guaranteed Irish businesses uh, more e-commerce friendly and e-commerce focused and get the business driven to those so we can sustain those businesses. It's really about doing the the right thing. And uh, there's a prediction of about 15 to 16 billion spend online this year here. Now that sounds like an enormous figure even to me. A lot of that is through professional services, not just retail. About 6 billion will be in retail, but at the moment if we're allowing 84% of that go overseas that's insane and we really need to get people to think about, instead of going on Amazon, let's get on Um, uh, Irish websites and really promote them. And to do that, John, if I can go on, uh, we launched guaranteedirishgifts.ie this week and it's been received with phenomenal success. People are delighted to have a portal to go to a one-stop shop where all Guaranteed Irish businesses can put their products and or their, their sites up there, and then the consumer has one place to go to on GuaranteedIrishGifts.ie to do their Christmas shopping this year.
1: Yeah, and, and what kind of stuff are, have you got on that site, Braid? Yeah,
2: great. So, John, it's a really broad mix, so... Um, Beauty, um, beautiful uh, beautiful skin uh, products and cosmetics, um, all based here in Ireland. Fabulous, creating jobs, jewellery, food, um, uh, craft beers, um, uh, local distilleries. You've got your gorgeous St. Patrick's Gin from Cork. We've got local craft beers, gorgeous food, artisan foods. And, um, of course, things like textiles, um, a real mix, the gorgeous candles, craft. And, of course, Kilkenny, at the home of craft. Um, and many of them from that part of the world as well featured on the website so we have about 150 businesses and thousands of products
1: online yeah and of course christmas is absolutely crucial for all these businesses because the, the figures vary but like up to 60 percent 70 percent of um you know profitability comes out of the months of november and december according to various estimates and that's in the bin as normal this year with with a effectively level five lockdown so christmas is really a time to fly the flag for ireland
2: Absolutely. And the bricks and mortar shops are in trouble, there's no question about that. A lot of them, in fairness, have uh, pivoted, hate to use that word, but it's 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 important, and they've got themselves online in some shape or form. Look, we'd love to see Irish uh, websites being a little bit more slick and easier to do business with. And I think an awful lot of the, the guys in retail have seen now that they really need to up their game and offer that user experience that's on parallel with the international competitors. But right now, um, it's all shoulders to the wheel. If they're operating, operating at a Facebook page or a small website, let's uh, make the effort to try and get the business to the the guys on Guaranteed Irish Gift Study and particularly um, our homegrown businesses so they need all the help they can get and being fair I think there is a huge and we've seen it the only reason we set this site up John in the last month or six weeks and it was only launched this week uh, was because the consumers, not the retailers are the craft makers, the consumers came to us kept coming to us including big corporate companies saying look we want to buy guaranteed Irish gifts this year, how can we go about it where can we source it, now we're not an Amazon but Amazon needs a challenger in every country and we need to stop feeding fat cats and we need to start looking after our own so those homegrown um, businesses need our support and if you're spending your 20 euros, your 10 euros your 50 euros, your 150 on a gift. You have your choice of candles, beautiful um, wood-turning pieces, sculpture, art, um, beauty products, jewellery, and all the little trivial things as well. They're all there, so make sure we go to Guaranteed Irish Gift Study and put money their way. And the other thing, John, if I can just say it, Guaranteed Irish um, is not uh, already on a commission on this. This is purely an assistant. It's a very simple assistant uh, to the guys who are out there struggling and it's a way of getting traffic to their site so they can do their own business and all the profit goes into their pockets.
1: Are, are, is there a problem that many companies be there from abroad are just putting Irish flags on things and saying like we support Irish and they're actually made somewhere else or is that an are issue?
2: I'm delighted you asked me that, John. Um, Indeed it is. So be careful of green, white and gold flags. Be careful of butterflies and love hearts all over the place. They're not always Irish, so be very, very careful. The one thing you can say about Guaranteed Irish traditional, iconic G is it is supporting jobs. It is supporting the communities in which they're based. And it really is doing the right thing by Ireland. We have a very tough appraisal system that every business has to go through uh, to become a guaranteed Irish member. And to be on the site, you have to be one of those members. So in terms of getting on the site, people are concerned, look, if they haven't been a member so far, how can they fast track that? We have put on additional resources to allow appraisals to be fast tracked within seven days to get behind the retail, uh, craft and gift sector here in Ireland who are really struggling. Mm. And uh, our job is to get them online in seven days. So if they want to get their applications in, they can contact us on info at guaranteedirish.e and we'll make sure they they get through the system.
1: And what about the cost associated with it, Breed? What kind of cost is associated with getting onto that website?
2: Sure, there's no cost of getting on the website of guaranteedirishgifts.e once you're a member of Guaranteed Irish. And the membership to Guaranteed Irish is totally dependent on the number of employees. For a small number of employees under under nine employees, it's 500 euros. And we make that a, a, a payable installment. Uh, so if you can pay uh, 500 euros, 100 euros by five times a year, it helps them get over the the, the the crooks at Christmas and see if it helps them. So look, there is no hidden agenda. In this. this is purely to help. We're not for profit ourselves. We just charge enough to get the actual work done. Okay. And uh, the rest would really try to push to, the, desire, to, the, to the, the maker, the creator, and get them moving for Christmas.
1: What's the best way of contacting your breed?
2: info at guaranteedirish.ie or jump onto the website and fill out an inquiry form and we'll be back to you within 24 hours. This is a real shoulder to the wheel effort to try and get behind the businesses out there. Now John, I must say Carlo O'Kell very strong in terms of the crafting I would love to see them feature on this website because we want to try and get behind those guys so please put queries to us we'll sort you out in terms of the payment one way or another we really just want to get the traffic going to the right
0: people and keep those jobs and keep those businesses open.
1: Okay Breed, thanks very much that's Breed O'Connell. C- CEO of Guaranteed Irish.
0: The bottom line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad
2: range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the
1: Southeast. John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. It's just nine and a half minutes away from the top of the air. Edward Hayden coming up. Uh, They're now COVID is a very tough time for people. We all know that. Um, people experiencing all sorts of of difficulties, uh, loneliness, uh, anxiety, and so on. And the world of work, as we've been hearing, has been absolutely turned on its head. People working from home is a big feature. Um, few could have imagined the amount of time that they would have had to spend working from home and people even who are working in offices it's a completely new experience with screens disinfecting procedures reduced teams etc people working in retail many have lost their jobs Um, and we all hope that uh, society will get back to normal but we do have a long haul ahead of us and mental health and well-being is a critical issue uh, for keeping everybody going every one of us and every business, it's an important issue. I'm joined on the line by Caroline Cunningham, who's a well being specialist who works with people to develop focus and achieve health, well being, and progress in the face of difficulties, whether they're personal difficulties, business, or so on. Good morning, Caroline.
0: Good morning, John. Lovely to talk to you.
1: Yeah, now, this is based on your own personal experience. You did experience burnout yourself.
0: Yes, well, it's 20 years ago now, John, but that was what set me off on this track. Um, I was a teacher in the past, uh, second level. I studied uh, science and maths originally, um, but I didn't look after myself very well and we didn't know a lot about well-being back that time. Uh, So I had to do a lot of work to figure out how to get myself more resilient. Um, I discovered I was able to uh reduced pain physical pain um i got better at handling stress and um i even you know managed through anxiety uh panic attacks everything uh weight management the whole lot so i discovered that there was really a lot more that i could do that i didn't really imagine i could do in the beginning it allowed me to change career i now work in in welding and the arts as well so i think you know there's there's a lot of potential in it and i help people to get that resilience to get that potential in their lives in their working and personal life
1: yeah now presumably um, uh, pre covid you actually sat down with people shock or across the table or on a couch and just chatted to them that's had to change too so you've had to turn your business on its head as well
0: yeah. well um, i was doing reflexology therapy uh, which is for stress relief um, but alongside that i was always coaching my clients because i i found that when People did the things, some things, extra things themselves. Just a little motivation to do something extra, like simple things, even just taking extra walks or looking after their dyes. They've got much better results, and they were empowered then to continue with you know, knowing that they could do these things for themselves. So during the lockdown, um, I obviously couldn't do my work that way. So I started trialling um, online coaching through Zoom mm. and I found that I could get really good results um, for people that way as well. So yeah. that's very interesting.
1: So um, tell us, it, 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 there's no reason to try and sweep it under the carpet, but everybody is experiencing anxiety. Many people's sleep is is on. Uh, un- under pressure, people are pulled in many directions, people are finding it difficult to focus yeah. on, on stuff. Is that a good characterization of, of what many people yeah. will be experiencing? Well,
0: like, the last two weeks alone, um, uh, John, even just the last two weeks, I, anybody that I spoke to, no one was able to say it was, oh, that that was a grand week. Everybody has been experiencing higher levels of stress. Uh, you know, we were suddenly hearing that we might be locked into level five. Um, you heard Reid there talking about 89% of uh, online trade is going out of the country. There's pressure building, you know, for business people. You know, we are constantly having to change and keep up and find new ways. And not switching off and, you know, having that high level of stress going on is not good for us. You yeah. know? So I'm going to talk to you now about uh, how to, you know, a couple of little pointers to, you know...
1: Yeah. Not to put you under pressure, Caroline, we have three minutes, so give us three simple things that people can do to help them get control over all these negative emotions.
0: Okay, well, the three things I would start off with, I would recommend, would be, well, first of all, step back and acknowledge that there is a bit of stress going on, and that is having an impact on you, um, and make a very simple plan to deal with it. So, I would pick... To these three self-care strategies to implement on a week-by-week basis and um, first one you know, obviously is exercise okay uh, the world health organization recommends 150 move minutes uh per week okay they say they can be a combination of um you know gentle exercise or you know, and, you know more vigorous exercise but if you can get at least 150 minutes um that helps to boost your circulation um not just your blood your lymph system as well which is part of your immune system and it gives your head a break and there are plenty of free apps available like google fit nike training um to help you you know motivate you and see how how you're doing basically um the other tip i would say is restore calm and focus and um you can do this by very simply practicing deep breathing on a regular basis so if you set aside say maybe three or four minutes, a couple of times a day, sit back, slow your breathing down, just don't think about anything for a few minutes. You can call it meditation if you want, but not everybody finds meditation easy, but it's simply just deep breathing. And what that does is it stops the, all the fight or flight hormones that are going around in your body that are telling your heart rate to increase, your blood flying around, your blood vessels opening up, Your digestive system is shutting down when it thinks that you're in fight or flight. So, with the result of that is you don't get all the energy that you're supposed to get from your um, your food. So you end up feeling tired. So, by doing this simple practice of deep breathing, you are reversing that process, or at least giving yourself a break, uh, which is really needed. Okay, and finally, I would say um, set got good boundaries for your work and personal life especially if you're working at home now with children and everything you know you have to look after everybody there set a schedule around your family life your home life um, so you're not under pressure and shut off any distractions that are going on around you for a period of time that maybe you need to get a project finished or something and tell your colleagues and employees and family members you know these are the realistic expectations if you need me i'll be you know i'll be able to deal with you at such a time or you know just be be clear with people and ask them to cooperate with you that way so okay. there's a couple of things uh, john i hope that people will find useful
1: thanks caroline and you work with businesses so business will pay you you'll help them work through these strategies and presumably you say it delivers results and multiplying yes. the investment in your service
0: Exactly. It definitely is it's an investment for your life, not just for your business. Um you know, I develop plans that are very personalized for, you know, what people are able to achieve um in their schedule, for example. And, you know, thing you know, if they don't like meditation, right, you know, you're not forced to do that. We'll really find other things that suit you that can help.
1: And, and how do people uh, contact you, Caroline, finally?
0: Um, my website is carolinecunningham.com and my email is info at com. and uh, at the moment my website is... Um going under some transformation thanks to the local enterprise office. So um, that will be upgraded soon. So um, is that,
1: yeah. That's it. Caroline, thank you. Excellent. Uh, Thanks for uh, coming on and talking to us about that. That was Caroline Cunningham who specialises in wellbeing, telling us to get 150 minutes of movement during the week, restore calm and focus and take some breath and set boundaries between work and the rest of your life good advice that's all we've got time for this week on the bottom line remember if you have any comments or ideas you'd like to get to us you can email the bottom line at kclor96fm.com or if you'd like to listen back to this show or any episode of the bottom line just search for the bottom line on KCLR on the apple store google play or spotify and we'll be putting up the full uh, and expanded interviews that we've done with some of those people that unfortunately we don't have time for between nine and ten so do keep an eye on that thanks to all our guests this week Tom Malloy James Malone Bart Palukovic Bart Breed O'Connell and Caroline Cunningham look after yourself thanks to the producer Deirdre Drummey who's uh, guided the show this week we'll be back next week just after 9 o'clock but until then do take care of yourself The
0: Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants now offering a complete life and
2: pensions advisory service to business www ZOS